Welcome to the Scottish Business Podcast, where every week I will be sitting down with a CEO to talk to them about their challenges, their successes, and what it takes to build a successful business here in Scotland. I'm Sebastian Mackay, and this week on the Scottish Business Podcast, I'm talking to Russell Dalgleish, who is the chairman of the Scottish Business Network, as well as a managing partner at Exalta. Russell has been around the Scottish business scene for a long time and we're talking in depth today about what makes Scotland one of the best countries in the world to start a business and to run a business. We also dive into Scotland's competitive advantages over the rest of the world and we take a look at VC funding both here in Scotland and in London on our doorstep. This is my conversation with Russell Dalgleish. So I've got a slightly better connection. Here we go. That's the better one. Okay, cool. I'm sitting in a cupboard, so we're going to see how this goes. That's a private office, man. Yeah, it's actually, I just moved flat recently. So this is my first one in the new flat. So I'm still working out like how much echo there's going to be in this weird yellow. Quite a lot of echo. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, Russell, obviously, thank you so much for coming along and joining me on this episode of the podcast. Um, I thought it would be really cool if we just started out by getting to know you a little bit and sort of understanding your background, because I know you've been around the Scottish business scene for quite a while and you've done some amazing things. Um, So, I suppose my background's technology. (laughs) So, I I studied technology at... um, what is now a university, um, in 1982, yeah, from that 82 to 86, mm-hmm. then worked as a developer and then a business analyst and then a marketing guy and then a sales guy, but all in technology and both um, application software and also electronic hardware. So I did computers from programming them through to building them and oh. then sell that kit across the world. I was very fortunate that um, as someone with a tech interest, I spent a couple of years in San Jose. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, the late 90s, which was an awesome time to be in California. That really was. People were still building things in their, in their lockups. That was just amazing. Um, just before the dot-com bubble burst. Mm-hmm. And then I, at that stage, I was splitting my time between California and Japan. Then came back to... Uh, well, I've always kind of lived in Scotland, but travelled. So mm-hmm. uh, this century, uh, my career has been much more business focused. So mm-hmm. rather than hands-on technology, it's been leading and building uh, companies. Um, and today, it's more um, advising companies. So I sit on in Scotland. I sit on the board of Scotland Is, which is our um, our technology trade body, and mm-hmm. I sit on the board of a couple of technology companies and. Um, I just love technology. I, I think it's my, my interest in technology is the same as it was at the start, which is it's about the application of technology. Mm-hmm. So I was never that into building it, but um, how you can repurpose and use that technology is really good. So I was exchanging messages. And I, I, I did a LinkedIn connection with um, uh, Chief Executive Zoom. And there's a great example of a company that's, um, that's taken advantage of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, another one would be Hop On or um, a summit in Edinburgh. You know, people yeah. have come along at exactly the right moment. 
and that application, and that's a really exciting area because we're going to change. The next couple of years is going to be about the way that we change this into being better than meeting in person. Mm -hmm. This is the future. This will be better than meeting in, in, in face to face. So even as we sit here at the moment, I could have another screen with all your details up, notes about the conversation. If you ask me a really difficult question, I can simply type it into Google and come back with a smart arsed answer. I can't <laughs> do that if you're sitting face to face. Yeah. Imagine how we advance this, this experience so it's better than being meeting in person. We still need the human interaction, but this is where technology is going. So on Friday, I did Zoom calls, if you like, or Microsoft Teams or WebEx or Skype or whatever. Mm -hmm. I did those types of interactions into seven different countries. Nice. Every person I spoke to has an accent like mine. And we were talking about Livingston football players going to London. And we were also talking about um, what Scotland and Silicon Valley have in common. We'll start with an S. Quite a Scots involved, but that's about it. I was just going to say to you, what, what does Scotland and, and Silicon Valley have in common? Is there? Well, I think, I, I, I think at the crux of it all, it's money and innovation. Mm -hmm. So um, Scotland's very innovative. Mm. You know, we're an we're a, we're a established first world country with a highly educated um, populace. We have a stable economy. We have, I don't know about you, but I haven't read much about people having huge internet connectivity problems across Scotland, which mm. is what we would have heard this over the last few months, five years ago. So we're, we're kind of sitting in quite a good position. I think, when I look at Silicon Valley and what makes it unique, it was that drive to innovation all the time. So it was a drive to innovation originally from um, hardware into software. Mm. And then the, uh, the US mentality about sales, which I think is, for me, the differentiation between the US and everyone else is they get sales. And they get sales as a customer experience. It's a positive customer experience. And that's what we've got to make sure that we all understand. What have they got in common? Innovation and money. Mm -hmm. one, one of the things that's come up in these conversations with people, obviously people are on furlough and uh, you know, other people are being made redundant and those kinds of things. And one of the things that's come up is that people are saying it's a good time to retrain, to learn to code, to get into tech. So I think my first big question for you is how can Scotland sort of really leverage its tech innovation money to make sure that we come out of, say, the next year or two years, um, a stronger place we were than the, when the pandemic started? So I'm going to be counterintuitive here. If I think about, we have an intuitive understanding of the customer experience. Mm -hmm. so all the technology companies want to sell to first world countries, and we get that. So we intuitively have that. If you're a software developer in India, you've got to understand how would people in the UK and the US buy things? How would they use things? We've intuitively got that understanding. So I think it's, it's that journey. So it's on the being able to move from technology to user experience or customer experience. I think that's where we've got such an edge. Mm. Whether it's, I, I'm not, I, I don't know about coding because coding's always struck me as something that was in the process of getting automated. I appreciate the fact that you'll never fully automate it, but I think you'll, you'll move to that kind of bit. 
So I think it's more about trying to look at the opportunity and look at them all around us. Our world's changing in front of our eyes. This is the time to be in technology because you can sit with someone and say, oh no, you don't have to do that, you can do this. I sat with someone who was about to spend 3,000 pounds on a WordPress site and I showed about to make the site he wanted in 20 minutes unstrikingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but, so the technologies are there to do that. Um, so I, I, I think if I was looking, if I was, someone was coming to me and they were talking about retraining, I think it would, it would be the retraining would be to take the skill set they have and amplify it. So if I used to be, a, I used to be an accountant, for example, and I was going to retrain, I would probably say, well, yes, you could retrain as a software developer, or you could retrain to see where's technology going to go in accountancy? So where could I learn the technology that will be able to help my fellow accountants use that technology better and take advantage of it? Because if you, if you understand that sector and you've got a, a, an interest or a delight in technology, that's got to be the way to go. Mm. Yeah, so then I guess local heroes for that kind of thing are like free agent and, and float, especially, right, with the sort of accounting software and automating. Zero. There's the Scotsman. Sorry? It's the Scotsman at the top of zero as well. Mm. Yeah. And when you look, but it's at not. Sorry, but my, my point isn't about necessarily about making a product. Yeah. My point is about developing skills to help. So if if you are um, doctors, you're very good at being doctors. Mm-hmm. You're not very good at knowing the fact that there's a piece of technology that will reduce your office workload by half an hour every day, freeing you up more time to see patients. So if you're, if you're a doctor with an interest in technology and you can understand that, that's going to make a real difference. That's got a real value. So becoming the translator about technology. Mm-hmm. And in your experience with business, like running businesses and advising on them now, where do you kind of see Scotland? Like, are you sort of thinking at the moment we're in a bit of a precarious position or do you think that we are in a sort of strong and stable position and, you know, we can only go up from here, so to speak. So, um, I see Scotland from an ex- with an external eye. Mm-hmm. So, so I see Scotland from outside Scotland, because that's my life. My life's outside Scotland looking at Scotland. Mm-hmm. So, I see Scotland in comparison with other countries around the world. Mm-hmm. And when I look at that, I go, we're in quite a good position. Most of the countries in, this, in the world aren't in as good a position as Scotland. Most of them. The majority of the world's population aren't in as good a position. Um, so I think we've got to start with that. I think Scotland also has an inherent brand which is viewed positively around the world. So yeah. people go, Scotland, that's, that's a positive. They go, I'm not quite sure what that is, um, sort of. When we've done surveys, the feedback's consistently been about trust. So people typically trust Scottish people. We typically honour a contract. So if we sign a contract, we'll do it and we'll see it through. We'll do a high standard of work. It will be a positive, enjoyable experience working with us. Now we take that as natural. We take that as, as Scots. We go, well, that's the same the world over. It's not. It's mm. absolutely not the same the world over. That is a real advantage we've got. So when we speak to people around the world, they're interested in what's happening in Scotland. They're going, well, hang on. You're the birthplace of Adam Smith. Mm -hmm. You're 
you're the home of golf. You're the home of whiskey. You've um, you've got you've got these world-renowned universities. And last year we were voted one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Now, that's a bit of an unfair advantage as a starting point, mm -hmm. but we've got to view it as an unfair advantage. And then we take on to the fact that we have a great innovative view of the world. So we're not trying to build manufacturing plants to compete with low cost economies. Mm -hmm. We're trying to use the talents and skills of our environment to produce high value goods, high value solutions, high value people. And then COVID came along. So what did COVID do to Scotland if you viewed Scotland as a tech hub? Was it good or bad? Well, one of the disadvantages Scotland has had to deal with for many years is the fact that we don't have direct travel to many places by plane from Scotland. Mm -hmm. So as a Scot, I assume I'll have to fly somewhere to get to somewhere else. But if I live in London, I just assume I can fly to the south of France or fly to Norway or fly to the States. I just go to an airport and do it. So mm -hmm. we're at a disadvantage. But suddenly flights have stopped. So that disadvantage Scotland had no longer exists. Mm -hmm. We have very good connectivity. So my friend, um, I've got a friend, uh, 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 Jimmy McGowan, who runs a business out of um, Harris in the Western Isles. I can do this with him. He mm -hmm. can do Zoom all over the world. He can also turn his camera around and look out the window and people go, oh, that's amazing <laughs> yeah. where you live, right? Yeah. So we've got to play, we've got to gather together our unfair advantage components and then build them into what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So why would, you base a, why would you base a technology company in Scotland and not in Silicon Valley? Well, for one point, the staff costs are going to be a bit lower. Mm. I spoke to um, Peter Proud of, um, of Forit. You know, Peter spent a lot of time with, with people like um, Microsoft and Accenture in Seattle. He's hiring apprentices in Scotland and saying they're some of the best talent he's ever come across. Wow. Apprentices. He brings them in. They're malleable, he's able to train them, he's able to give them the skills, and they put them in day release into universities. Well, that sounds like a huge advantage we've got. Mm. What, Scotland's, what Scotland's got to do is we've got to kind of take what we see as the challenges of why it won't work and yeah. just park it over there. Just, just, right, that's just, I, I heard a speech once um, by a, a, a global Scot who said this, let's just park all the reasons we think it won't work over there. And just, just for a couple of minutes, let's just assume it will work and go for it. So I, I, I think that, that to me is why I think Scotland's in a good position. I mean, this is like obviously extremely anecdotal, but I know when I told people that I was gonna move from New Zealand to Scotland, everyone said, go to London first. Like, been in London for two or three years, build up, you know, your career and things like that. And I was like, no, I'm like laser focused on this is what I want to do. And I think that, again, anecdotally, sometimes you talk to people outside of Scotland about the tech hub and the amount of money coming through fintech and things like that. And I think people are not necessarily always aware just how much Scotland punches above its weight. So Scotland's got another unfair advantage, which if you look at Scotland with an external eye, you can see it. We have an incredibly well integrated ecosystem. Mm -hmm. 
I've got a friend out of Baltimore and we tried to do something in data in Baltimore. We couldn't get, and you know, you're trying to link together universities and business communities and investors. We couldn't get the universities to speak to each other, right. let alone get business to speak to them, right? I had, um, I had investors over from Dubai a couple of months ago and they visited Edinburgh. They were visiting, no, they were visiting, they were in London for a couple of hours, I persuaded them to come up here to do a, do a conference or to do a talk. And um, we gave them a unique experience. On one day, we introduced them to universities, investors, tech companies, and they did it all in the one day. Mm -hmm. And we moved between the meetings on foot. Right? Mm -hmm. We ended up having dinner with an, a, a, a legal firm. Now, they said to me, never done that anywhere else in the world. And we've definitely never done it when all the time we're walking around what appears to be Harry Potter's castle on top mm -hmm. of a mountain in the middle of the town. Now these are, and I appreciate the fact that, um, that the environment and everything and how, how nice somewhere is and how nice the people are, how trusted, these are all small points. But you get enough of these small points lined up, you've got an advantage. Mm -hmm. We've got to use that advantage. So what do you think that means for CEOs at the moment? Like, and I, and I get that that's a big question, right? I know that some people have been looking at import and export and wrangling with Brexit. Some people are looking at data. But if you could draw like a general kind of umbrella thing for, you know, in terms of how we can exploit this advantage and, you know, for CEOs, what's the sort of core point there? Is it more partnerships or, you know, outside investment? Like, what does that look like? Understand the market. <clears throat> so when I speak to a tech business in the US, maybe quite early stage, and I say, and they pitch to me, they tell me about the market. They say, Russ, we address this market, it's got this problem, this is how we fix it, and the market's about to go like that. That's what they say. When I have the same conversation in Scotland, people tell me about their product. They right. tell me about how proud they are of their product and what the product can all do. Now, what's interesting is, actually, it's quite difficult for me to follow the story from the Scottish company because they tend to quite quickly start using technical words mm -hmm. and they use things that are inherent within their, 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 their sector. But if you just start by talking about the market, if you start, so if I think about the fact that we created something called Scottish Business Network, a diaspora organization around the world. And um, if, I, if I tell you my product connects um, Scottish companies to Scottish business people around the world, that's a good product. And you go, well, why would you want to do that, Russell? Mm -hmm. And instead, if I say, um, we have successfully accelerated the growth of several technical businesses out of Scotland by walking them into multinational companies around the world. You go, I want that. That's a good thing to have. I love that. Product as opposed to market. It's the difference. Why do you think that um, businesses struggle with that? Like, do you think it's a cultural thing? So I know as a, you know, as a Kiwi, we often talk about things like tall poppy syndrome and that kind of thing. And it's that whole idea of not getting too big for your boots or not wanting to sort of blow your own trumpet. Like, do you think that Scots maybe fall into so, My experience has been Scottish tech founders 
spend more time in the office than American tech founders do. Mm -hmm. So Scottish tech founders spend more time working on the company and the product, whereas American tech founders spend more time with the market. Right. So I, I think that is a fundamental effect because if you spend, if you overly focus on the product, you tend to start deciding what the product will look at. If you overly focus on the market, you tend to understand what the market needs, so your product's better positioned to fix that market need. Mm -hmm. Why we do it is, I think it's something about being not in the middle of an international hub. Mm -hmm. So if I'm sitting in London in a restaurant, there'll probably be people from 40 different nationalities sitting in that restaurant. If I sit in a restaurant in Scotland, most of the people there will be Scottish. Just about everyone will be, will, will be white. Their accents will be Scottish. So there's that. So it becomes, an, I think it becomes an echo chamber where right. everyone around about you thinks this, so everyone else thinks this. We notice that a bit on pricing. So people will tell me that um, um, my thing costs £50,000. So that's how much I can sell it for. Or I, I can sell my thing for £50,000. Mm -hmm. I'm going, but someone sold something very similar to your thing for £500,000 in New York because it was a different, a, a, it's a, a different market, a different value is placed on the product. So I, I think there's, and this is, this, is what, this is one of the reasons why we built this thing, because I can put any tech founder in Scotland in touch with people in their industry around the world who'll tell them what it's like where they are. Mm -hmm. So that, that gives that slightly different idea about how to do it and where the opportunities are. So with that level of connection and being able to put a tech founder into, you know, as, I guess essentially every other different market, whether you do that input in person or virtually, what's your big hope for that? Like, do you think that it will really transform the way um, Scottish tech founders think about business? Um, I, 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 I can't change the way anyone thinks about something but I can make available an opportunity that they may want to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it, it, if you think about it, the journey that we go on as people tends to be, we reach out to the people around about us. Mm. You know, we, we can't afford to go to Australia. We can't afford to go to New Zealand. So we're unlikely to reach out to someone in New Zealand to help us. Right? Mm. But that changed at the end of March because at the end of March, Though our focus was on a health emergency, we suddenly took a big leap on a digital transformation. Mm -hmm. So I talked to you through the same medium that I talked to someone in Auckland or someone in Los Angeles. It just happens. Interestingly, we're seeing how important language is. Mm -hmm. Because if I speak an Arabic language, this is quite difficult. Because mm -hmm. I'm actually, I, though the technology will support me speaking all over the world, the people at the other end might not understand Arabic, so I'm a bit stuck. Mm -hmm. So isn't that another unfair advantage that the people in Scotland have got? Is that they just they, we, we can just talk. Yeah. We can do English. We can automatically talk to people all over the world. And even if you learn another language, a lot of the nuances and everything are incredibly difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just that you can start listing what these are. But you... Unless you've, I, I, I did some leadership training in Dubai and I was talking to people from Syria about the challenges of growing 
scaling businesses in Syria. So I assumed, through lack of information, I assumed the problem with scaling in Syria was probably things blowing up. Mm-hmm. And they went, yeah, that's, that is a bit of a challenge, but the real challenge is corruption. Right. right? Now, not having corruption in the UK makes it to any kind of, you know, there is of course corruption, but typically if, if I sign a contract with you, mm-hmm. I will do what the contract says and you'll pay me the value that we agreed. Yeah. Typically that's the way it works. That's not the way it works around the world. It's different everywhere. Which is really not something you think about, right? Like, it's been, so, I mean, you know, one example, again, anecdotally, is coming from Auckland and, and doing business and having clients and that kind of thing to coming here and talking to businesses and under, like understanding how different labor laws are different and yep. how different yep. obligations and stuff. And I think once, once you step out of that bubble, I suppose it seems obvious, but until you have something that comes along that kind of bumps you out of your bubble, I think regardless of the scale of that bubble, you think, oh, we you know, probably should have considered that. So when you, made, when you first came from New Zealand and yeah. you started to speak to Scottish tech founders, what was the commonality of experience they gave to you? Oh, what was really because you, you must have looked at them and went, that's a bit strange, guys. What did, what did they strike you with? Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that's been really interesting is that everyone has been super open and really friendly. And, and everyone, like, don't get me wrong, people talk about New Zealand in that sense, and Kiwis are obviously great people. But to sort of come out of, from nowhere and say, hey, I don't know you and I don't know, I don't know much about your market, but I think it would be really useful if I connected all of these CEOs together on LinkedIn. And, and everyone has said yes. You know, there hasn't been a single person that's, that's said, oh, that, that doesn't so, sit with me, you know? That, so, so that's what we need to hear. Because mm-hmm. we just go, of course we did. That's what everyone all over the world would do. Right. No, yes. they wouldn't. Absolutely they wouldn't. Absolutely. The people around yes. the world wouldn't do it. That is a unique cultural advantage. And you can't even have that in London because the ecosystem in London is diff- different. Mm. So, for example, um, I put on an evening event in Edinburgh, people will come. If I put an evening event on in, in London, I have to treat it differently because some people might be getting a two-hour train journey home that night. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different experience, different, different culturally. And the, the biggest one for me is um, um, investment. So we underutilize the opportunity of London. Mm-hmm. So I have friends who run successful businesses out of the valley who get all their investment from London. And they go, it must be so good for Scotland, Scottish tech companies, because London's on your doorstep. Mm -hmm. The fourth richest city in the world is on your doorstep. That must be such an advantage for Scottish companies. And that's not what I hear. What I hear from a lot of early stage Scottish companies is we need more investment in Scotland and of course you need more investment in Scotland but actually how are you getting on getting the money out of London and in terms of like getting that money out of London obviously it's different for every company that pitches but is it generally a sort of easy relationship is it you know or do people tend to look stateside because that's where the I suppose glitz and glam feels like it is so it's interesting because you know if you look at New Zealand Mm. You probably have to go out of New Zealand to get any kind of scale of investment, right? 
effectively. Well, yeah. that means going from your island to somewhere else. Mm. In Scotland, we can get a flight that takes an hour to go to London. There's an established market there. As I said, it's the fourth richest city in the world. There's people that will help you, introduce you, do it all. So that's, that's an advantage I think we have. But because culturally we don't have a lot of people saying, oh, I've raised my money in London, oh, I've raised my money in London, oh, I've raised my money in London, people are going, well, I'm going to go in a different route. And there's, there's fantastic angel investment opportunities in Scotland, people like Par Equity and Funding, all, all of these different organizations, which are wonderful as well. Mm. So that's a huge advantage. You know, there are cities in England or cities in the UK which don't have a single angel investment group. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many are in Scotland. Is it 26? It's, it's ridiculous, yeah. right? So, and we also have a government that does match funding. Good thing, bad thing, don't know, but that's there as an option as well. So these are all... These are all reasons which should encourage accelerated growth, should encourage risk-taking, should encourage doing this. And we have the examples out there. You know, there's, there are Scottish companies, like look at Craneware. I believe 100% of Craneware's business is, in the, is, is outside the UK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, they're a hundred, so many hundred million pound company or something. Isn't that a fantastic example of a tech success? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we're moving slightly um, into like prediction territory because I really want to get your thoughts on what, you know, the next sort of like 24 months for tech and business is going to look like. Because I mean, like, I mean, like you said, obviously you have the external view of it, but you see, you, you seem to very much kind of have like a really compre comprehensive external view, right? And so do you constantly see a lot of opportunities and are you looking that far down the line at the moment? So, so I'll lean in now and I'll tell you what's going to happen over the next 24 months. Mm -hmm. Change. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Things will change. I live life a day at a time. I've got no idea what's going to happen. If you'd asked me in March, March the 1st, Russell, <laughs> could you tell us what's going to happen over the next two years? I said, oh, Brexit's going to be a nightmare. Mm. Like, we're, we're what, four months away from Brexit? I don't think it's even in the press. Mm. You know, so we don't know what's going to happen. If we take a mindset, which is we go, where are the opportunities? What's happening? What, what's changing in the world? What, what might happen? So um, do we think this is a good time to open a sandwich shop in the middle of a city? So our sandwich shop is going to need a steady flow of office workers. So do we think the number of office workers is going to increase or decrease over the next two years? I, I think it's probably going to decrease. I think we're going to have a flexibility of employment. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see, um, you know, maybe the, 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 the commute's going to change a little bit. Rush hour's going to change a bit. I think overall there's probably less office workers who are going to want to pop in to get a sandwich. I think there's going to be less. So that's probably not a thing I want to do. However, if we're going to see more people working from home than there is at the present moment, so that seems a fairly safe bet, why don't we put our sandwich shop on wheels? Mm -hmm. So we'll have a mobile sandwich shop 
and then we'll start being able to go out to people's houses to drop off our fantastic sandwiches. So rather than us having a shop in the city centre, we're going to go to where the customers are. Mm. Now, how will we interact with the customers? Well, everyone's using this, everyone's online, everyone's on computers. Why don't we allow people to make bookings? So we'll tell them roughly where the van's going to be, and then we'll, we'll make sure we can drop the stuff off at their house. And, and, and that's not me being clever. That's what's happening in San Francisco. Right. So the food trucks aren't waiting in the city centre for people to come out. They're going, hang on, people, let's go to people's houses and go and do this. Let's drop it off in towns and villages and travel. And I think we've got to think about how markets are going to change. Now, we might guess wrong. We might make that assumption and it doesn't happen. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think, do you think there's going to be a, people sitting at home would probably quite like to get some sort of different food to eat and we're probably going to spend more time sitting at home than they did before? I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. One of the oh. things that, that's been really interesting for me is all of the businesses I've talked to have been able to find some kind of innovation or opportunity and amongst this whole this whole thing, right? And so that kind of makes it quite interesting because you talk to people that's objectively bad that there's a pandemic going on. But like you said earlier, with companies like Hey Summit, you know, there has kind of been a bit of a wave that they get to ride as everyone moves into that digital transformation. And it's the same again with Code Clan and with a couple of other um, businesses. And I think I've done six or seven of these now and, and that's what been along with the generosity of time it's been one of the really interesting points is like we know that we're kind of backs up against the wall but we've still seen you know all of these different opportunities even if we can't see the full 24 months ahead of us or 12 months or even four months at the moment if, if i thought if, if you want to take a big picture thing what could scotland be scotland could become the software development innovation department for the world mm -hmm. Because you've got, we've got, we've got this great country to live in and an infrastructure that works. So I'm a, I'm a million a, I'm a million a year software developer. Mm -hmm. um, my office no longer requires me to turn up every day. I can be based anywhere. They're quite comfortable with that. I'll be based anywhere. So I've decided to be based in a big house in the side of Loch Ness because it's really nice. This is a great place to be. Um, the weather's fantastic. The weather's such a brilliant Scottish thing because Scottish people will go, oh, sorry about the weather. No, it's not. Like, bad weather's Dubai in the summer or Boston <laughs> in the winter. That's bad weather. We've got variable weather that's a bit different, you know, actually, which people like, people enjoy. So I think Scotland could become this must-have place to be based. So I've got... I can buy quite a big house for not too much money. Schools are good, mm. nice and safe. There's not war going on. There's, people aren't armed. Um, there's, there's, there's lots of space, lots of places, lots of places to stay. Infrastructure kind of works. You know, what's that thing they do in August in Edinburgh? Oh, yeah, we've heard about that. What is it? The biggest arts festival on the planet, three weeks in August. Well, that sounds like quite a good reason for being there. That's, you know, these are the decisions people, people make. And I think that could be this opportunity that goes, you know, now, it's, now you no longer need to base your development department in an office. Why not base them somewhere where they're going to they're have quite a good time? And that's going to be good. And that, that, that could, that, I think that could be an option for Scotland. Yeah. I mean, I've, it's interesting too, because 
I mean, I'm into, you know, games and that kind of thing. And obviously Rockstar started in, in Scotland and there's a lot of mini game devs and stuff. And in a weird kind of way, I see New Zealand sort of heading towards Scotland. So like New Zealand's the biggest export is tech, right? Software and, and hardware and stuff like that, games. But it's not really talked about on the same level as say things like dairy ecotourism, which is sort of seen as like our holy duo. But I feel like it's sort of moving to a place where Scotland is now. And I think as it does that, I feel like that's, you know, Scotland starting to, and I might be overshooting here, but sort of finding its feet maybe and taking that extra step or leap forward into being so that will take up. New Zealand, New Zealand benefits from some of the changes as well. New Zealand suddenly got a lot closer to the rest of the world. Because the story about New Zealand was New Zealand was far away. New Zealand's not as far away anymore because you can't fly there. Mm-hmm. So suddenly New Zealand's just as close as everyone else is. Um, New Zealand's, the, the way that um, COVID has been tracked within New Zealand is viewed as, what, them guys seem to know what they're doing. That's pretty impressive, that. You know, they've got a, a populist leader who portrays well, you know, so, so that, that kind of works, you know. I, I think a large majority of the world had kind of forgotten where New Zealand was, except for the rugby team. And now there's a lot more interest in this New Zealand place. And have you seen this place? It looks quite nice. So I, I think New Zealand is one of those countries which has probably benefited from this. Now, now Scotland, you've got to remember, is not a country. Mm-hmm. But New Zealand has got embassies all over the world who are telling everyone about how great New Zealand is. You know, so they've got that. Scotland is part, Scotland wins because Scotland's part of the UK. So we get to be both Scottish and British, so we can take advantage of both. So it's mm-hmm. slightly different. But if I think about one, one, one challenge New Zealand can't overcome is the time difference. Yeah. So the UK, because we came up with it, sits in the middle of that time zone. So I can do calls into Japan and into Los Angeles. Not, I can time the call so it's not too big a disturbance to me. Mm-hmm. When our ambassador for Scottish Business Network in Auckland wants to watch Rangers play football. She's got to do it at two in the morning. Mm. At two in the morning, that's a pretty big ask, that. That's, that's a bit of a pain. So I would have to say that um, the, 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 um, the, the way that clocks work around the, work around the world, it's a bit of a win for us. Mm-hmm. And again, we didn't really think that. And it, it's, you know, so if you are going to base teams all over the world, you want to get them all together online at some point. And the people in New Zealand probably, I would imagine, have to work annoying hours we do yeah people in Scotland do. it's true so, but, but, but we don't think about that so we don't think oh, oh it's a bit of a pain in New Zealand you must have to be up half the night sometimes yeah yeah absolutely and then and, but it, like you said it is such a sweet spot you know I think I was reading an article the other day that was saying one of the good things about you know the London stock exchange and markets is like it's or it's on when every other market is on and it's one of the only places in the world that sort of does that yeah so, so it's interesting because if you, if you were to start listing these advantages, so, so you think about that the unfair advantages Scotland's got without just by getting up in the morning. Mm-hmm. So just by getting up in the morning, we're speaking English, we've got a good technology infrastructure, we've got a brand that's viewed in a positive way around the world. You know, no one's not going to like castles and whiskey and golf and stuff. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be a positive brand around the world along with this trust element. Now, now you got all that simply by waking up. Mm-hmm. That's, 
there must be countries around the world that are going, that's a bit unfair. And, and, and that's, th th these are the pieces that I think in Scotland we've got to emphasise more and then build from that plateau to say, our innovation is fabulous. We've mm -hmm. built an innovation culture. We're not, we're not entrepreneurial in the way that I would say folks from the States are, but we can be innovative. Mm -hmm. So maybe what we want to become is the innovation hub for the world. That'll be a great goal to go for. We'll do all your innovating. Come on, bring us your problem. A bit like CivTech. Another brilliant example of something unique happening in Scotland. A public sector GovTech incubator that's absolutely winning, creating companies, building, creating jobs. CivTech surviving, starting with a problem. So maybe the ask is, dear world, come up with some problems and let's see if we can crack solutions for you. I feel like we have, a lot, we have a lot of strengths that we can play to, right? I mean, Russell, thank you so much for chatting with me this evening. It's been, it's been really cool. It's been really, really interesting. And I feel like in a dorky sort of way, just I'm re-falling in love with, you know, why I moved to Scotland. And I, maybe that's... Phew. I wonder what you were going to say there. Phew. Right, thank you. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, I spent five months staring at the ceiling. So I guess that, you know, it helps to be able you know, to do these things. Do you know if there was one thing I was that this is going to sound really daft um, to any tech founder who has aspirations of being successful in the states, I can give them something that will give them just a slight edge more than they have at the moment, and it's going to sound really daft. It's to read about Outlander online. Okay. Read about the effect Outlander has had. And to a certain extent, a large portion of the world thinks it's something to do with Scotland. Now, I know it's just, it's, just a, it's just a piece of fiction, but that piece of fiction could well be watched by your prospective customer. Mm -hmm. So if your customer in Ohio is a big Outlander fan, because people are, people are big Outlander fans, then the fact that you come from Scotland and you maybe you've got a house near Bonness, that could be like a huge win for you. But don't write it off. Don't, we, we mustn't go, oh, that's just a nothing, that doesn't matter. That's an unfair advantage we've got. So use it. Exactly. So we'll be doing, um, we're going to try and portray all this because at the, at the end of September, we have the fourth annual Scottish International Week. And that's where we're going to try and bring together all these ideas and all the people who are doing stuff international just to encourage more Scottish um, companies to, to go on this journey and start reaching out. So hopefully we'll all take part then. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, then. That was my conversation with Russell Dalgleish, the chairman of the Scottish Business Network and a managing partner at Exalta. If you liked this week's episode of the Scottish Business Podcast, please share a review wherever you get your podcasts. And also tell a friend, tell someone that you think could benefit from learning about what makes Scotland such a great place to do business. We will be back next week here on the Scottish Business Podcast.